post-credit conversations, a movie podcast where we believe that a film is only as good as the discussion it inspires. My name is Cale Prindle. And I am Slade Lane. How are you doing, Slade? You know, I'm doing really good. Um, I've been looking forward to this one. I've been looking forward to it. Always love to look at the year in review of what I have watched and what stood out and realize how long the year has felt oh my goodness Um, so long (laughs) it's um, been so long it has um i'm a little sad just because uh some of my list you know it should be the top of 2019 but as it turned out checking checking the uh, calendars uh to use that reference right now um you know i watched them in 2020 so they count so (laughs) That's right. So as Slate is alluding to, this is our top five of the year. And the way we do that here on Post Credit Conversations is we never talk about the top five movies that actually came out this year because we have children. And that means we don't usually get to see a lot of movies when they come out. And in 2020, you know, almost no movies came out. If I had to do a top five on 2020 movies, I'd have to put Sonic the Hedgehog in there because that's how few 2020 movies I saw this year. That is rough. Um, no, it's yes. it's it's weird making a list. And as I was telling my girlfriend today, I'm like, the thing is, all the movies just came out. Like, I feel I saw a million things of 2020 I want to watch, but they all came out in the last, like, two weeks <laughs> on <Yes>. streaming uh, <laughs> for Once free. Once we got to, like thanksgiving and christmas then yeah like pixar's like here's our stuff and then they're like here's wonder woman and we're actually putting movies out now and uh it's been a weird year a weird weird dumb year so yeah for our top five it is simply as we did last year the top five movies that we saw this year they could be from any year they can be stuff that we've even seen before if it's like a rediscovery of of a film so um, I know last year I talked about Princess Mononoke, which was a great film that I forgot how great it was. And then I revisited it and found it again and realized, wow, I completely underrated that. So that's how we do things around here. Top fives. We'll have a few honorable mentions in there as yeah. well. A few so honorable mention just, breaks. <laughs> I mean, for the other we'll 30 movies. They fit in. For the <laughs> for <laughs> honorable me. mentions. For me. You know, for uh, for you, you need the extra 30 slots. Um, so, but before we do this, I think it's it's worth mentioning and talking about. Like, Slade, we've been doing this for a year now, like One officially. One whole year. It's crazy. We did a full year of a podcast, and I'm excited about it. We have 25 episodes up, 26 if we count our episode zero. Um, so that kept us with our average... Of about once every two weeks. We yep. managed it on the average. Hooray for us. So that's exciting. I know. Um, as far as my own personal movie viewing experiences, according to my letterbox, I watched 131 movies this year. Wow. Yeah. I, don't I was even pretty know. excited. I don't even know how to check mine. Well, currently. Oh, it'll say it on your profile. Assuming you've been logging them, which I know sometimes you don't. I... I I don't review every movie, and that's why I had to make a last-minute uh, audible change in my top right. five because I'm like, I never even wrote about this movie, but I watched it. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, a lot of movies. I There were some months I was looking back in my lawyer box. I'm like, I watch a lot of movies <laughs> in the month of, like, February and things like that. And then some yep. months, like December right now, I mean, I've watched four four movies probably six if we count the ones i showed for my class classes and things like that and watch with my daughter but um you know fair enough yeah yeah there's a few i didn't put down because i know my kids sometimes like let's watch this and it's like yeah we've watched that a ton so I, i don't recount all of those but i have logged 131 movies on letterboxd for this year um similar february and march a lot of movies um my wife and I went through the entire the entire MCU back in February, March, April. So that's twenty movies already. And Man. then, um, and then during the summer months when I don't have to work, I I watch a lot. Then, then the school year started and it all dried up real quick. Yeah. 
I so, also started the MCU in February, and I only watched two movies. So, um, <laughs> I did Iron Man one and two. It gave me enough of a hot take to say Iron Man two is on par, maybe slightly better than the first one. It's my hot take. <laughs> that is a hot take. It's a hot take and a wrong take, but that's okay. We're gonna move on. So we've got our top fives of the year. A so. Take. <laughs> Let's oh, move man. on into our top five. <laughs> All right, Slade, you want to start us off with your number five pick? I'm, I'm going to. Um, let me pull up some information because, again, uh, I didn't realize I had watched it this year until <laughs> I looked today. And I'm like, well, it has to make it in. Um, 2019, The Lighthouse. I watched this year, and and <laughs> and I would feel remiss not putting it on there. And also, I saw you rated it, and I'm like, I gotta, you I did. gotta give, I gotta give The Lighthouse its due because it was, uh. it was criminally underrated. I haven't even read the review, so I don't know what to address with it. But that's not what I'm here to do. It is one of my <laughs> top movies that I watched. Um. Again, directed uh, by Robert Eggers, written by him and his brother, Max. Um, It is his second film. The Sophomore Slump, in my opinion, did not get Eggers in this one, whose first film, The Witch, is one of of my top movies ever. I I think that there's just some really cool stuff going on there. And uh, he continues it with The Lighthouse, specifically uh, characters, because there's only two. Um, a lot of creepy psychological stuff going on, very reminiscent of, of Aronofsky and some of his darker movies. And I mean, man, Willem Dafoe just, he is great in this. I, he's he is. really good. He's amazing. And, and Robert Pattinson is really good too. I think Robert Pattinson is, is really great in this movie. Uh, I need to watch more of his stuff because he keeps coming up in lists. But um, specifically for this one, that how it gets into the top five is everything uh, they did with cinematography in this film. Uh, they brought down the ratio to to get to that 1920s, 30s, and 40s screen ratio so it doesn't play in widescreen, I think is really cool. Some of the shots and just how they get them, the framing of them. It's very developed if you watch the behind the scenes on it and the attention to detail. It's another reason why I loved The Witch so much is, you know, Edgar so far in two movies of his career have proven his attention to detail and historical detail is such a huge strength of his, you know, down to the the Lighthouseman costume that was researched and and thrown together together. it's just kind of a beautiful movie, even though it's done in a uh, pseudo black and white style. It, all that stuff still pops like the costume design. Um, and I'm excited to see which of his next movies get made first. He's in talks of doing a Nosferatu remake. He has another Viking horror movie that's apparently in production. So one of those two should be hitting the screens here in the next couple of years. And, and I'm excited. He's one of my favorites so far. So I would be interested in either a Viking horror movie or a Nosferatu from him. Yeah, I completely uh, agree. His visuals in the lighthouse are super cool. The characters are super cool. I don't have a lot of specifics about why I didn't like it that much. I yeah. just didn't, I didn't, and, I, I didn't feel like I was in it. That's all it yeah. was. I was excited to watch it's, it. It's a weird movie, and it's not for everyone, obviously. Um, It it just scratches that bone with me of just like, this is weird. I don't even know what it means or if it means anything, (laughs) but it's it's visually and appealing, and the craft of it is so well done. Yes. I think so. So yeah, that's my five. Yep. How about you, Kale? What what comes in at number five? Number five for me is uh, one of the few movies that came out in 2020 that I saw in 2020, and I liked it a lot. 
and it came out as a Hulu exclusive, and it's Palm Springs. Oh, yeah. I think Palm Springs delighted me way more than I would have expected. Um, It doesn't get a whole lot of boost just for being the only 2020. I think it just, I think it's funny. I think it's got enough profound material to play with. I also watched Groundhog Day this year because it's basically Groundhog Day 2. But it does enough of the changes that I think make it really interesting and cool. So they take the basic concept of Groundhog Day, getting stuck in a time loop, and they make one small adjustment, which is what if other people can get stuck in the loop with you? And that opens up for so many great conversations and explorations about pain and the meaninglessness of life and how do we find our purpose um which groundhog day also plays with but it doesn't go probably because it came first it didn't have the time to go into all of those areas as much um and i just thought it was a brilliant little funny movie um that i really enjoyed and i think about it all the time (laughs) (laughs) excellent yeah, I, I I need to watch that one. Um, I know it comes highly recommended by you. Um, so yeah, I need to check it out. And I love Andy Samberg. So yes, he's yeah. great. Uh, like both the people in it are fantastic, and you've got another J.K. Simmons, and he's always fantastic as well. Um, I think that you know, like I said, I watched Groundhog Day as well. And Groundhog Day, while I was watching it, I was not loving it. Until it really dealt with some of the inevitable suffering that people go through. And that's what made Groundhog Day finally click with me. And I think where Palm Springs picks up is it plays more with this idea of pain and suffering are very real. And that might lead you to a very nihilistic view of the world where nothing matters at all. But also it brings in, it reminds me of the... uh, it's a Pete Holmes story about him and TJ Miller about whether or not they should just steal something. Cause if one person doesn't believe there's a higher power then just steal and do whatever you want. And TJ Miller saying no, um, because if I steal something, then someone else is going to get in trouble or they have to deal with the consequences of it. Whether or not you believe in a God, um, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you can be completely amoral. And it's that yeah. kind of exploration stuff that goes on in Palm Springs. that I think it's just really great. Nice. Yeah, so that's my number five. Excellent. Um, coming in at number four, this was a, a late substitution right before recording. Um, <clears throat> it is the movie Cuba and the Cameraman, um, a 2017 documentary uh, directed and made by John Alpert, who's a journalist. And it just kind of covers 40, 45 years of all his trips to Cuba. So he's <clears throat> he's there pretty much from right after the time Castro and uh, Cuba go communist right up until, what, 20, the 2010s. Um, and he has this very exclusive look at the country of Cuba. Um, there's nothing really... There's no frills in this documentary, which I love. There's no overdubbing. There's no real big interviews. It's all just what he sees every time with his camera when he comes there. He follows individual people that he tries to see. um, One of which is these three brothers who, like, when he first meets them in, like, the 70s and 80s, they're old men. Um, And, of course, that makes for a very heartbreaking end near the end of the movie because he eventually comes back and and they've all died um but you know he comes back and he sees them on their farm through all these economic shifts that happen in cuba he also has exclusive access to fidel castro during this time uh back in the 70s when fidel castro made a a famous speech at the un and came to the united states he was on the plane with castro um and Castro plays with his camera and he talks to Castro and you get this very uh, human portrayal of Fidel Castro, which makes this movie complicated when you look at it 
from other perspectives of just like there's the not so good things going on in Cuba, but then there's the things we don't realize, um, <clears throat> which is, you know, Fidel Castro is a very complex figure and Cuba is a very complex country. So he covers that for, you know, 40, 45 years. Uh, one of the most interesting things is he gets one of the last interviews with Fidel Castro when he's an old man and Fidel remembers him, you know, cause he's been coming to Cuba for 40 years and, you know, Fidel has stepped down as the leader of the country <clears throat> and what he's doing is he's working on new seeds for agriculture to help people. And, it, and it's just this very different portrayal of Cuba, depending on how you grew up in the United States, looking at Cuba and its history, uh, which is sometimes not really portrayed in any real sense of what actually goes on there. Um, it, it's a heart-wrenching documentary, um, and it's really good. So that's my number four. <laughs> good deal. Yeah. Good deal. I don't have a whole lot to add to it because I haven't seen it, but I remember you talking <laughs> about it on a fairly recent episode that we did, and yeah. it does sound fascinating. It is. Uh, my it's... number four... Oh, go, go okay. My number four <laughs> is completely <laughs> different than that. It is Night of the Living Dead. Oh, Yes. So this one came to me in a weird way because I've obviously I've known about this movie forever. Um, I used to, in a sense, teach this movie a long time ago when I would teach pop culture studies. But you never, but never watched the full watched thing, did you? Oh, I never man. watched the full thing, right? I mean, I knew enough a lot. I read about it. I'd watch documentaries about it, but I never watched it from beginning to end. And then my wife watched it. And she's like, you should see this. It's really cool. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I finally did because it's just on YouTube. Easy to find. Yeah. This movie's brilliant. It's so cool. I mean, we take for granted some of what we talked about when we did 28 Days Later. We take yeah. for granted the the beginnings of something that becomes the standard of everything we think about for zombies. But it's all packed into this film. Um, I know it's shot on the cheap, but it's shot well. It's uh, very. There's no. There's no fat to trim on this movie. <laughs> it's very quick, but it's still surprisingly intense. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to watch it in '68 when it came out because it's legitimately creepy, um, yeah. and gross and scary, all in those things. Um, and it's very, very good. Of course, I watched a lot this year that dealt with race. Uh, more on that for one of my later movies here in a bit. But this movie, to watch it in the context of watching it um, through like a racial lens is also absolutely fascinating. And it's just really good. It's really, really good. And then I watched Dawn of the Dead, which is not as good. But <laughs> Night of the Living Dead is fantastic. It's my number yeah. four. Nice. Yeah, that is... <sighs> No, we did do 28 Days Later this year. And I mean, it was a hard movie, I think, for both of us to watch because it's like, oh, yeah, zombies, you know. Right. And, and it's not the most recent zombie movie, but, you know, it's somewhere in the middle between <laughs> Night of the Living Dead and now Walking Dead. Um, right. Land, where it's just like there's so many tropes and it's been explored in every which way possible you know that it's hard to appreciate those older movies and but you go back to night of the living dead it's like you said it's it's creepy it's it's really good it's it's in the vein of so many great horror movies too because it's it's an indie mm -hmm. movie you know it's yep. it's a 1960s indie movie um and kind of sets the stage for every everything else you know that's where it happened and it plays a little different than 28 days later because i know when we did 28 days later and i rated that one really high as well be, but i rated it high because i had to think of how it revitalized a genre and how it did a bunch of stuff that now are commonplace but yeah. i had to do that to keep my rating high with night of the living dead i didn't feel like i had to justify it <laughs> i think i just watched him like oh that was just very good yeah, yeah. um and it's it's lean and it's straight to the point and it's just really good and I like it. I agree. I agree. 
All right. Cruising along here. Coming in at number three. This movie technically debuted in... 2019 Toronto Film Festival International Film Festival but just saw widespread release this year which is Sound of Metal um which uh stars Riz Ahmed who's been in things like uh probably biggest thing is probably Nightcrawler he's uh Jake Gyllenhaal's sidekick I think in Nightcrawler um directed by Darius Martyr uh indie movie it is really, it, it's hard to describe, really, because it's not really a music movie. There's not much about metal music in it. It is this great case study of a heavy metal drummer, played by Riz Ahmed, who basically starts losing his hearing uh, while playing in this little indie quote metal band where they just kind of make noise (laughs) and he just pounds the drums and he he starts losing his hearing and goes to the doctor he's like i can't hear you and you know has to start writing things down um and eventually uh goes to this place where only deaf people have a deaf community but it's more than that it's a community that's almost like an aa community because a lot of these people not only are they deaf, but they're they're former drug addicts or addicted to other things, and they live on this community, and they learn how to be deaf in this world, not to fix their hearing. And uh, Riz Ahmed's character wrestles with not only his past, as it comes out, he's an addict, he's been sober, everything, his girlfriend drops him off there and leaves to start the band, and he just wants to get through things and earn money to basically get uh, cochlear implants because as far as he knows that'll give him his hearing back um and it's it's a hard movie it's a hard movie to watch because i mean he loses his hearing in the first 10 minutes of the movie and then it just does this brilliant kind of case study around addiction and loss of function And it really stands out because of the sound design. The sound design is just crazy in this movie of how they mess with sounds uh, to kind of show that he's losing his hearing, what his hearing sounds like as he loses it, what it sounds like through his cochlear implants. A lot of very cool sound design happening in this movie. So that's my number three. Uh, Sound of Metal. It's streaming on Netflix Very good. right now. It's great. And Riz Ahmed, I mean, really just an amazing performance. Uh, one of my favorites that I saw this year as far as characters. Yeah, I've seen this one pop up on Letterboxd from other people I follow, and they're rating it pretty highly as well. I need to check it out for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's great. All right. My number three, I'm going with... Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> I thought I might loved make watching. An appearance. <laughs> you know, I loved watching it when we watched it. And uh, recently, I was I've tried to promote the podcast a little bit more recently. And uh, my wife's sister listened to that one. She's like, I had so many thoughts and stuff. And so I was like, Wow, what, what were we saying? So I went back and listened to our conversation on that one again it just kind of brought back all of the stuff that that movie does that i think is so good and i'm not gonna rehash it all now because we already did a full episode on it but i think what that movie still amazes me with is uh how surprisingly relevant it is it's a 70 year old movie and almost everything we talked about when we watched that episode um it's still super relevant to now. And uh, as we were, as I listened back to it and kind of thought about some of those shots and stuff like, oh man, yeah, it is so creepy and so haunting and just, just marvelous. And I love it. And uh, yeah, I need to bring it back. I need to watch it again, or I need to make my students watch it or do something with it. Cause it was, it was very, very good. So I'm sticking that at number three. Nice. Whew. That gets us up to number two already. Number two. Um, 
I can't remember if I did this last year, but I'm doing it this year, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I'm going to cheat. I'm I'm lumping two movies together. What? Yep. <laughs> what? I'm lumping two because <sighs> they play off each other so much, and and I feel justified in 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 lumping them together. Um, so so. I'm putting two Kubrick movies together at number two, which is Paths of Glory Ooh. and Doctor Strangelove. Um, and I do that just because, A, I think it's probably the highest rated movie that I did on the podcast was Five Stars and was Paths of Glory. Um, 1957 Kubrick studio movie with Kirk Douglas you know, and it is just this brilliant exploration of morality and battle. It's anti-war in such a nice, complex way. Um, telling of this French officer who, <clears throat> you know, is charged with cowardice. And, you know, there's just so much quotable awesomeness from it. Um, and Kirk Douglas is just so good he's so great um and we have plenty to talk about so go check out that episode it's one of my favorites um and then i put dr strangelove around the same way with it or i lumped it in because with paths of glory i mean one of the next movies or at least within the next decade right uh kubrick goes and does dr strangelove which is a completely different kind of movie genre wise but it's still playing off those things that he explores in paths of glory you know it is a comedy but it it is also this weird anti-war exploration into you know now the cold war and the nuclear age and he just does some things that are so hilarious and off and dark um and again one of the greatest movies very defining for kubrick uh i couldn't help but lump it in with paths of glory because i think you know they really work together and i know we talked just a little bit about kubrick since we did paths of glory but you know so much he comes up for like clockwork orange or the shining i think probably get referenced the most may maybe mm -hmm. 2001 but, you know, like a third of his filmography has to deal with war. Um, and he explores those in very Kubrick ways. And he did it early in his career at a very interesting time in history with the Cold War going on. Um, and they all still seem very relevant, uh, both these movies. So those are my number two. You dirty cheater. <laughs> I'm so sorry I cheated. I... <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess I'll let it slide because I don't know what it would mean if I wasn't going to let it slide. Like, I just chop out this section of the podcast. Like, Slay didn't get a number two. I cut it out. So I, I probably won't do that. He doesn't get one. He, he cheated. cheated. <laughs> he loses his spot. I mean, you can lump a number, uh, another movie no, in with your number two. because I, I, I made... They were thematically linked, I made though, my, so I, I... Yeah, they are thematic. Yeah, no, I think you lumped it. I'm glad <laughs> that it they're connected as well as they are. Because you're like, here's two, and if they were just completely different, you're like, it's Paths of Glory. I mean, I thought of doing Paths of Glory and Onward, <laughs> you know. I thought those were also thematically correct, but I... yeah. I tried all right, all right, all right, all right. Uh, my number two. What's my that number, number two? two is blind spotting. So last okay. summer, um, which we talked about at least some on the the podcast, um, I was on a, a quest to intentionally put in front of me more films that spoke to race and spoke to different. Uh, perspectives on race and everything else. And I watched a lot of different stuff. I watched 13th. We watched Just Mercy. Um, we talked some about Sorry to Bother You, which almost made it on this list. I, I actually have it rated higher than Blind Spotting, but when I think about which one I enjoy more, I actually think I enjoy Blind Spotting more. I watched Selma, which is really great. I, I, I tried to do a lot 
Um, so here's the deal with blind spotting. Blind spotting stands out among the the cluster of things I watched, um, primarily because it just has an entertainment value that pulls you in emotionally throughout the entire film. Blind spotting is funny. Um, I laughed a lot, and then it really handles well the balance of your laughing. And now we're going to make you feel dread. (laughs) Now we're going to make you feel tense. (laughs) And it really seems to me to explore the psychological effects of police brutality and observing police brutality. It talks a ton about just like the legal system. The main character is almost completely free from his one bad decision He's only got a week left on his probation or something like that. And then you just see how tenuous some of this stuff can be. Like a guy who is honestly trying his best, but because of what happens around him, he is always in danger of slipping back down into something that will ruin the rest of his life. And most of it is not his fault. And right now, that just continues to be not just relevant because of the summer, like in December, it's relevant as president Trump keeps pardoning people who were convicted as guilty for doing what president Trump wanted them to do. And then he's like, nah, you're good. It's like, depending on who, you know, you can make a big mistake or a small mistake. And in blind spotting, we see what happens when in a brief moment, someone makes a mistake And it throws their world into chaos, and there's nothing they can really do about it. Um, But at the same time, like I said, it keeps it very funny, keeps it very tense. Um, It stars David Diggs, who's in Hamilton, and he's just amazing. And I absolutely loved it. I almost gave it five stars, but I I even wrote in my review, I'm like, the only reason I didn't is because I was starting to realize as I watched things that were so topically relevant, I was rating them very highly, probably just because they were topically relevant. And so I was trying to uh, temper that down a little bit. And so I gave it four and a half, but I loved it. (laughs) I think it's, it's so good. So good. Nice. Yeah, I, I need to check that one out. I had a friend show me the trailer before it came out, and I was like, ooh, I need to see that, and then I still have Yeah, it's it. it's exceptional. <laughs> so. It's it's just, yeah, I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. All right, should we do our honorable mentions yeah, before we yeah. go to number one? We should. We should do some honorable mentions. All right, how mentions. many clusters do you have of honorable mentions? <laughs> I'm only going to pick a few from my overall list of tops that i put on here um all right so i'll, I'll try i'll try and be Throw brief me what you got. um some honorable mentions for for myself um I, i'm gonna start off a little basic and this one didn't make it just because it's film qualities it's a great film but it's not necessarily a film which is hamilton uh, I think it was my highest rated thing that came out in 2020. Plus, it's one of the only 2020 things I saw. Um, I think it's perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, as a production and as a, uh, a piece of art, it's it's perfect. And the filmed version of it is really good. Really good. Um, other than that, though, um, I have Mulan was an honorable mention. The new Disney... <sighs> it's not a remake and that's kind of why I put it on here. Um, you know, it, it has a lot of interesting controversy around it that I'm not going to get into because, uh, I don't want to say what I think about either way, but the movie itself is really good. Um, it's, it's like a crouching tiger, hidden dragon almost, or, or more so I thought like a hero type movie, but Hmm. it's Disney and that made it stand out of where uh, the action is excellent. The storytelling is really good. Um, and I mean, it has Jet Li and Donnie Yen in it. So there's always points for that. And uh, the main actress, uh, she is excellent. It's it's a lot better than any of the other 
Disney movies that have just been made into quote live action and they did something different of just like hey we're not gonna have a musical number right this it's it's going to be a historical action movie um but also fun and funny and and emotional It, it works really so much better than their other remakes. Um, I I put this one in, on here. I almost put it in my top five just to make you annoyed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it came up as I was making the list, which is The Other Missy with uh, Lauren Lapkus and David Spade. It's a Netflix movie. Oh, that's right. It's so funny to me. <laughs> and I almost put it on there just because I have no comedies. And it made me laugh really hard. It's not a great movie by any means, but I I think it's hilarious. Uh, the David Attenborough documentary that came out on Netflix is is great. Just makes you love David Attenborough so much more. Uh, it started as a joke, which is a documentary about Eugene Merman. Um, is really, really good. If you haven't seen it yet, you should go rent it on Amazon. And watch it. It will hmm. make you cry. It's it's heartbreaking. It's a very nice. heartbreaking documentary. So if you love Eugene Merman, um, go check it out. You'll love him so much more after watching that. That's all I'll say. Uh, Cuties. Cuties on Netflix. I gave this a shot a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of the most misunderstood movies, I think, of this year. Uh, as a bunch of uh, really dumb people are... <laughs> are living on this planet right now. I, I'm trying to be as nice as possible. I have I've said a lot of things about the people populating the earth recently that are not very nice. Um but they're dumb and, and this movie is controversy is a product of dumb people wanting to divert their own problems onto something um in a interesting way of just like, hey here in America we want to talk about all our racial issues and divide that have been with us for all of the country and uh, a portion of our population decided like, yeah, but what about sex trafficking and pedophilia? What about that? I'm like, Oh, convenient time to care about this issue. You've never cared about before. And that movie really is a product of this. Unfortunately of it had a poster on Netflix that honestly was not that bad. It's like, we all forgot that, um, Little Miss Sunshine was a movie 13 years ago where it has the same exact thing of a little girl dancing <laughs> in a tutu. Uh, this movie is no worse than that. Uh, and not only that, it's really good. It really reminds me of Blue is the Warmest Color in that it's a snapshot of, of this girl's life, uh, an immigrant family in France, and how she's trying to make it in this very weird uh, clash of cultures. It's very much worth the watch. Very misunderstood. So, but it's French. So, you know, if French movies aren't your thing, just don't watch it. That's all I have to say to you. If you're dumb, don't watch French movies. Uh, if you want to get smarter, watch French movies. So, <laughs> all of Slade's rage is coming out now. <laughs> it's something. I'm so we we got to cuties on my list and I, it just took me back. Um, and the last one I'll say it's very short uh, is John was trying to contact aliens. Um, it's a great movie on Netflix. It's 16 minutes long. It's just about a guy named John who's trying to contact aliens and has been for like the past 40 years. Uh, he's this gay guy who lives up in Michigan, North Michigan. And he just starts building all this equipment and he sends music out past the moon. Um, and it's just a s- short 15 minute dock on his life. And it's, it's really heartwarming. He's just this old bearded mountain man guy who has just been trying to contact aliens and it. It opens up your heart in a little way. So there you go. There are my honorable mentions. I know I took a long time. But you did. You had a lot of honorable happened. mentions. <laughs> Cuties happened, and I'm like, I got to wrap it up. All my rage. It's uh, <laughs> pretty good. Okay. Um, we were going too fast. So We were. I thought 15 minutes ago, I'm like, we might actually have a short episode. But nope, never mind. Um, okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I only have two honorable mentions, so this will go much more quickly. Um, 
good. I had a lot of movies I watched this year that were good. I actually put quite a bit on my five star lists um, that I really enjoyed, and, and a lot of my four and a half. But when I was thinking about which ones did I really enjoy, there's only two others that didn't make the list that were close. One is Parasite, which I finally broke down and watched uh, this year. I, I've I've yes, I have did. watched. The four major Bong Joon-ho movies this year. So I've seen Snowpiercer and Mother and um, The Host and Okja. I guess it's five. And Parasite. And yeah, yeah. Parasite's, it's real good. Uh, at first I was like, ah, it was, I didn't love it. as I thought I was going to love it even more. But like a lot of Bong Joon-ho movies, when people like it, they really, really, really praise it. Um, so it, it had probably unrealistic expectations for me, but it's very good. And just the way it really focuses on the desperation of that poverty can drive people to, I think is just done so well and in a disturbing way. And it is an example of how people like, I'm assuming people reacting to it is an example, how we can be more upset with the people reacting to their conditions, then we are upset at the conditions that made them react that way in the first place. And I think Parasite was brilliant in that way. Very good. Um, worth checking out. And my other honorable mention is Loving Vincent, which I know I mentioned at one point in the podcast. Yes. Uh, it's just beautiful. The whole thing on Vincent Van Gogh, which definitely uh, was helped along by watching Hannah Gadsby's um, Nanette, who she talks about him a lot and mental health with him. And just, it's been a hard year mentally for so many people. And to watch a movie that focuses on a character who's trying to understand somebody else's mental health is really important and really great. And it's beautiful. And I just liked so much about it. It was, it was amazing. Done. Yes. All right, let's move on to our Very number good. ones of the year. Slade, what's your number one film of the year? Yeah. Uh, I, I must say, uh, my list is in no particular order. Uh, so what? this isn't necessarily... It's not. It's not necessarily number one. Um, but it's the one I chose to end on. So read into that what you will. Um all right. It's funny because it's already been talked about actually in this podcast. It is Parasite. Because um, I watched go. it this year. Um, no, uh, <laughs> I mean, we've we've talked a lot about Bong Joon Ho on the podcast. He comes up a lot just because, like, like you said, you've watched <clears throat> a lot of his movies. I've watched a lot of his movies within the last year or two. Um, I, I was really tempted to put The Host on my list because I watched that mm -hmm. as well this year. Um, for me, why this lands at number one, or at least pretty much the top, I, I think it is a perfect movie. Um, <laughs> and I have it rated very highly is it is like the perfect culmination of Bong Joon-ho's all, all his other movies. Um, I, I know we've talked about it before, or at least I've talked about it before his way of, tackling certain topics is so interesting and entertaining. Um, and that's what makes him a good filmmaker, I think is because his films tackle tough, actual real world topics, but they're entertaining. Something like Snowpiercer is entertaining mm -hmm. because it, it tackles disparity and wealth inequality. Um, even the host does as well. Um, so all his movies are playing with these class themes always um, in everything I've seen, even in Ocha. And Parasite is just this perfect expression of all those ideas, you know, 20 years into his career. Um, you know, just it starts at the beginning of the movie when the family gets the stone thing and they're just like, it's a metaphor. And I'm like. This guy is brilliant. He's just telling us literally what's going on there. And, and it's funny to me, you know, so many people, their reviews of Parasite when it first came out, just like, you have to see it. I don't even know how to explain it. And it is hard to explain, but it's not hard to get for me. And that's what I like about Bong Joon-ho, because you can watch Parasite and 
I think you can understand what's going on. It's kind of like you said in your honorable mentions of just, you know, the wealth inequality between these two families, what people do to survive. It's all there, but it's all presented in this very metaphorical sense to where it's very hard to distill down into like, and this is what it's about because he's tackling so many things all at once from this family. You know, they basically pinpoint this rich family to start fooling into letting them pay for them. And, you know, just what that says about class and how wealth inequality is circular is amazing. And then the addition of the the rich family's previous mate is living in a bunker <laughs> underneath the house. And then they end up going there. And I know you mentioned it in your review, the final party scene. I mean, oh, it's perfect. I, I think it's that think final it's scene. So yeah, I think it's that final scene that leads people to say, I don't know how I would explain this because this mm. movie it's just kind of clipping along and you're like, okay, yeah, cool. This family, they're, they're conning in a sense, conning their way into working for this wealthy family. But by the time you get to that birthday scene, when everything just goes nuts, you're like, what? And, but that's also why I think for me, what stood out is that desperation. Like why would someone go Mm -hmm. to this extreme? But I think what he does, he sets up his dominoes so well in this movie that when the chaos does start, you're like, well, of course it did. Of course it went crazy. You know, it, it, you know, yeah, it's just, it is really brilliant. I mean, everything leading up to spoiler, go watch it. No, I'm not spoiling this. It's been out a year. Go watch it. Um, look when, when the father, uh, stabs the rich man, uh, you know, there's just such a cathartic release at the end of it because of the leading up to it of how it is clipping along. But once the, the family's house gets flooded and they're in desperation, like things were going good. And then this little thing throws them off. That's it. That's all it takes. Yeah. You know, and you see it when um, he's driving the car for him and he stinks and the, the guy starts treating him immediately different. You're not fitting in. You're not showing me that, you're actually a part of my world. Mm-hmm. You are lower than me. And it builds up to like, uh, you, you know, F this guy. Like he, he and his family are the problem in it. And it's, it's very beautiful. And that's one point in the film as well. Um, no, I just love it. I think it's, it truly is one of the best movies maybe ever, <laughs> you know, of, of this last decade for sure. Um, it's it is very and, good, and probably Bong Joon Ho's best movie. And I think that, but I, know I have I to. I, I still have to see two. I still have to see two of his. I still have which to ones see haven't Memories you seen? Of murder, Mother and Memories of Murder. So okay, yeah, I haven't seen Memories of Murder, but Mother is oh Mother, ugh. yeah, <laughs> good but yeah. hard. So anyway, um, Parasite. Yeah, no, it's great, and I think just to tag onto that, I think that the scene, and I mentioned this shot when the. Poor family's basement apartment's getting flooded, and the daughter is trying to stop the sewage from flying out of their toilet. So she closes the lid, sits down on it, and starts smoking a cigarette. And it's just like, what a horrible, disgusting situation. But during that same night, where it's just raining and raining and raining and raining, in the rich family's neighborhood, uh, their son is out camping in his little tent, and everything is fine, because everything is fine. (laughs) <laughs> but for another family, it destroys everything yeah. they have. Anyway, I mean, it's great. Yeah, it is very good. Di- dialogue, visually, yes, all of it. It's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I don't even know if I could explain why it's not in my top five. I think I might have bumped it out because of recency bias, because I just watched it within the last week, and <laughs> I felt like I, I don't know, whatever. Okay, my That's number fine. one. That's my fine. number one has also been talked about today, and it is Paths of Glory. Um, but really? I didn't, I didn't cheat by partnering it with something so you know, whatever. <laughs> okay i know it's okay i'm just a better person than you uh so paths of glory didn't know we had rules <laughs> well you know when most people say a top five they mean what a, a narc five. what a narc you are <laughs> okay uh systems change you you've already <laughs> yes you've already talked a lot about this so i won't get into too much more um i think that what 
sticks with me and I went back and read my review of it as well. Um, just the, the tragedy and no redemption in the face of war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations this year about America and why people are upset about certain things, obviously. And part of those conversations are talking to people like, say, I don't know, our parents or whoever sometimes about like, let's talk about why people talk about Thanksgiving this way, or let's talk about why the Washington Redskins shouldn't be called the Redskins anymore. And it's this new, new to some generations, a new view of how we see massive world changing events. And when you deal with war, so many war stories are told as, you know, it's a path to glory. I mean, that's the name of the movie is paths of glory. And this idea that we often uplift war heroes and war stories and generals and stuff like that to the point that in, a, in the United States, we've even uh, put up statues of generals for people who were revolting against the country. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's a Confederate general. And then people are mad when we take them down. Right. So I think yeah. Paths of Glory just gives us a really important perspective Um a very dark perspective of like, look, war is hell. The people who get the glory are not the people who have to deal with the suffering. And we should not let that fly. And I think it's just done in such a brilliant way. And I loved it. And as someone who generally doesn't like Kubrick, uh, I know we talked about that too, but this movie was great. Yeah. Uh, Kubrick's really changed for me in the last year. I mean, and and I need to revisit some of the first things I saw of his, because I think probably the first movie of his I saw is The Shining, which some people love. Um, It's basically a knockoff of The Lighthouse. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, so much of his early work, I think, is is really brilliant in in a way that only he could do, you know. Right. Um, with how he shoots things and everything else. So very excellent. good. All right, everybody. Those are our top five or in Slade's case, top 12, I think, movies of the year, <laughs> however many he mentioned. <laughs> I don't know why I'm giving you such a hard time. Um, thank no, that's you. That's fair. I had a long honorable mentions. <laughs> thank you so much. We are we've done a full year of a podcast, and it's a big deal. And we're excited to start into year two. Um, and so we're excited to have you join us for all of those conversations as well. Uh, Slade, do we have the name of the next movie we're going to watch? We do. It's okay if you don't. I could just cut it out if we don't. <laughs> No, we do. Um, I thought maybe I was going to do another audible, but we are going to be watching something from 2019. It is viewable on Netflix, and it is called Paddleton. Paddleton? Paddleton. All right. I have no all idea I'm gonna what say. that is. That's all. Okay. You're going <laughs> right. to find it. You're going to watch it. We're going to talk about it. Paddleton. All right. Sounds great. Paddleton on Netflix. Thank you so much, everybody. Uh, I hope your 2021 is better than your 2020. And uh, until next time, farewell, good people. Don't stop the talk after you walk out of the theater. 